0: like to welcome everyone back to the Duck Pond Wall here on WEHC 90.7, WISC-FM-WISE 90.5. We are thrilled today to have as our guest here on the Duck Pond Wall, Victor Trussell. Victor, tell everybody your class year.
1: I am a 2013 graduate.
0: Can you believe that? 2013, you've been out for 10 whole years. What in the world? Right.
1: It's actually very insane to think about.
0: Well, I feel like a lot has happened for you in good ways in the last 10 years, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, I was just joking about the fact that I remembered that you were into theater here. You were a theater major at Emory & Henry, but right now, today, we're talking about the fact that you're a children's book author.
1: Right, yeah. It's been a lot of transitions in the past 10 years, all good ones, Um, mostly exciting, but yeah, it's... A strange twist of events going from theater to now, you know, writing a children's book.
0: Well, let's start at the very beginning. I, You know, I had forgotten until I read your little bio that you were, you're a Chicago area native. Is that right?
1: That's right. Yeah. I was uh, born and raised in a small town just outside of Chicago, south of the city.
0: That is a big city. How'd you end up at at Emory & Henry?
1: Oh, wow. A lot of (laughs) transitions. So um, I grew up there, but then I actually moved to Virginia, right before high school. And I lived in Centerville, a little small suburb yeah. up near D.C. And someone that I went to high school with was actually um, Jamal Kroll,
0: who oh, sure yeah,
1: graduated three years before me. And so he would talk about Emory and & Henry, and I thought that was really cool, and I loved you know, all the material I would get about the school. And so that's how I ended up in Southwest Virginia.
0: That is very cool. And he was also, did he major in theater? And I know that, I know he's an actor now.
1: Yeah, he did. Mm -hmm.
0: But you have taken a little different turn. I, I noticed that you are a social worker now. How did you end up sort of making that change with your plans? Well, it's funny.
1: I feel like everything in life is so connected, right? And so, On one hand, it seems like a completely different realm of the world, and in some rights it is. But I found that when I was performing, you know, I was working contract to contract, and sometimes those contracts were a few months, sometimes they were longer. But in between, I would try to find these, like, little side gigs along the way. Um, One of the side gigs that I found along the way I fell in love with, and I was a pre-K teacher
0: that is not just a side gig, that's a side hustle, because that's a lot of work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was a lot of work. That's um, <laughs> so funny. I did it off and on for about three years when I was acting, and I just realized, wow, I really love working with kids, and I love working with other people on that sort of capacity. In particular, there was a social worker that worked in my classroom with one of the students, and I was so fascinated by Everything she was doing, I was lapping it up. I would literally pause kids to be like, wait, I need to talk to her to figure out what she's doing. (laughs) It was so interesting. Um, So I I think that was the initial inspiration behind me getting into social work. And then um, as I got older, things started to shift and what I wanted started to change. I loved performing. I still do love performing. But I really wanted to settle in one place. I wanted to work a normal quote unquote job and have a normal salary. And um, I recall being jealous of all my friends who seemed like they were doing those things. And I was like, here I was living out of a suitcase hopping around. Um, so I did a lot of soul searching essentially. And then I landed on social work, remembering you know, that time as a pre-K teacher but also remembering how much I loved AP psychology in high school.
0: So those seeds got planted early. You just really hadn't thought about following up on them initially.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it is crazy. I'm a firm believer. You just never know where your life is going to take you. Cause I never imagined, you know, that I would live in Philadelphia now. I never imagined that I'd be working as a school therapist. Um, life's full of surprises. I'm a firm believer. And, there is always time to learn something new and try something different. I think as an actor, you know, because there's so much competition in that field, you really have to be big on branding yourself Mm -hmm. as an actor. You have to eat, sleep, and breathe it all the time. And then once I got out of acting full time, I really had to take a moment to examine who I was because I didn't know who I was outside of this eating breathing sleeping machine that i
0: became right
1: um and i don't know it's helped me realize wow you know there's a victor that's an actor but there's also a victor that's a social worker there's a victor that writes children's books there's a victor that likes eating and going out and doing different things so i don't know i think you know one of the the greatest pieces of advice i can give to students is that um be open minded to trying something new and um, sure, you may love what you're doing right now. You may love it later. But, you know, there could be endless amounts of things that you will love equally as well.
0: You know, it's funny. I, I, I see students um, sort of panicking toward the end of their career here because they think they have to have it all figured out. They got to, you know, this is what I studied. This is where I got to go. And you're right. You know, you get at different stages of your life, you're sort of different people, and it, you know, certainly your career is going to be different at different stages of your life. But it's it feels scary so when true. it feels scary when you're 21 and you're getting ready to leave. You're like, ah, oh, I got to have it all figured out right now. But that's still young, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Oh my goodness. Looking back now at 21 and 22 years old. I remember um, there was a moment when I graduated. I was talking to Brian Stanley, if you remember Brian Stanley. Yeah. And we were just kind of like, what do we do now? Like, this is so (laughs) weird, you know? We were in school for, like, 20-something years, and all of a sudden we're not, and we have all this freedom. And, you know, we had some freedom in college, but you're still on that regimented time. And then all of a sudden you're kind of thrown into – the real world and I, I definitely remember how um alarming that felt. Exciting, but also like, wow, what is this?
0: Yeah, and it's it's fun to me to watch you all figuring those things out. And when I say you all, I mean all oh, you, you were younger than me because everybody seems younger than me right now. <laughs> but all you, but watching you all figure it out, I'm sort of fascinated with how You figure out how to make a new friend system. You figure out how to, you know, take care of yourself um, in lots of ways. I mean, that emotionally as well as physically. And there really is a lot to figure out when you first graduate.
1: There really is. You know, you've got a little bit more of the puzzle pieces about who you are, I think, once you leave college. Um, But then there's still so much more. You know, for all of you out there to learn about yourself and I'm still learning about myself and, you know, I'll be 33 pretty soon. It's an endless journey really of discovery and I'm not sure that we will ever have all the answers. You know, we have a little bit more, like I definitely feel a bit more secure in my 30s, but I'm sure... When I'm in my 40s and 50s and beyond, I'm going to look back and be like, whoa.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. Trust me. Yeah, that is exactly what you'll do. But, you know, and and the other thing is that is that it hasn't always been easy for you. But through those mm-hmm. things, you have still learned and, and grown and become the person that you are.
1: Yes. Yes. Life throws some crazy things at you sometimes. Yeah. Um, I like to share with my kids right now, I work as a school mental health therapist. And, you know, I think sometimes it can be useful, throwing some perspective Mm -hmm. into scenarios, but I let them know that, you know, through all the difficult and painful things that you encounter, usually there's something, even if it's minute, something you can take from it, that's really gonna help you later on and help you grow. And, Unfortunately, sometimes it's in those hard lessons, you know, those really, really hard experiences that you don't think you'll get through that really, at least in my case, one of those situations that ended up being a gift. I think it really helped me actualize who I was meant to become and um, give myself what I needed that I didn't know um, I was lacking, and, you know, and that's inner, inner strength.
0: Right. And and how, you know, it's hard. How do you convince a young person? How do you convince a kid that, you know, it's temporary? Those bad days are temporary. And, you know, you just got to, like you say, pick out the the good lesson in it. What do you say to these kids that you're working with now to say, it's going to happen. Stuff's going to come down the pike that you're not excited about. So just you got to, you got to wade through it.
1: Yeah, I always start with validation. You know, I always want to validate what their experiences are, because certainly these things are impacting them in the now, and they certainly are important and difficult to manage. But I I like to hark back to their prior experiences. You know, I'll ask, well, this is really difficult for you, but can you recall a time in the past that was really difficult? And what happened then? You know, time kept going, life kept happening um, sure. Sometimes we have bruises from those experiences, but ultimately, um, the universe keeps going and we have to keep going with it. And I think sometimes that can be comforting knowing that, Oh, you know, he's right. I've been through this. I've been through that. This is probably just another one of those things. And for now I just have to sit in it and sit in those feelings because that's, that's going to really help me, um, move beyond.
0: So was it during some of these conversations with kids that you suddenly said, you know what? I could write a little children's book about this. That might be helpful. I, you know,
1: I've been trying to pinpoint where exactly someone asked me, they're like, when did you decide you wanted to do this? (laughs) And I want to say, I've always been a creative type, you know, obviously when I was acting, but even prior to that, I loved writing. I would, I was the kid that brought little short stories to school And I was like, teacher, teacher, read this. And then the teacher (laughs) would read it. That's really where my heart was prior to theater. And so I knew as I was older, I wanted to publish something. I was like, is it going to be a play? Is it going to be poems? What is it going to be a memoir? But I think I settled on a children's book because, yeah, I am inspired by the work I've done with children. Um, But I also was a child of the 90s that consumed a lot of content, And I think that kind of fueled my brain and like, oh, this would be so cool to have a book about this or a book about that. And picture books in particular, I think can be so powerful. They're shorter, but they pack a lot of punch. And I think they're a great way to get certain ideas across in a very entertaining, short form way. And so it started off as, yeah, just this little project of,
0: I wonder if I can
1: do that. I've read a lot of these, but can I write one?
0: Well, Gilroy's Good Heart is the name of the book. Um, Tell us a little bit about the story and about Gilroy.
1: Sure. So Gilroy is a five-year-old boy who can do anything, right? He believes he's unstoppable when it comes to helping other people. He loves helping people. But when he makes a mistake of his own for the very first time and he's unable to really manage that situation, he freaks out. He kind of... Loses a bit of himself and who he's become or, or who he believes he is. Um, so that really messes with his self esteem. And then, you know, he starts neglecting some of his essential needs. He stops sleeping. He stops socializing with his friends. He stops bathing. All in all, to discover that while it's okay to want to help others and to be a good person in that sense it's also okay to take care of yourself, right? You have to fill your own cup before you can fill others. And so it's a lesson about self-care, self-compassion, being able to forgive yourself in those moments where you make mistakes and accidents, um, but maintaining a kind heart through and through. And that was something I think I related to as a child because I was obsessed with You know, I wanted to make people happy. I wanted to make them laugh. I wanted to give them things. Um, But I don't think I was always the best at looking at my own needs.
0: Hmm. I want to remind everybody we're talking today with Victor Trussell, Emory and Henry class of 2013, who is a social worker in Philadelphia, but also the author of a children's book called Gilroy's Good Heart. You know, I love that you that you chose to do a children's book because I'll be honest with you, some of the most moving things I have ever read in my life have been children's books. You can say so much intending it to be for kids that will actually speak to a lot of adults. Did you sort of hope to have sort of a story that would work on two levels?
1: You know, I really was aiming for kids. And of course, you're always keeping in mind parents um, because they're the ones who are purchasing the book. But I was really surprised um by some of the early reception because a lot of adults really loved it and they were like, Wow, I need this in my life. And then of course I would say actually um secondhand, I found out kids loved it too. So it was the parents that seemed really receptive <laughs> first to it. But yeah, I think that's what's really neat about children's books, you know. Um as a kid I was obsessed with Arthur. I loved Arthur as part of the oh, yeah. book club. Yeah, I had to have every single book. And so I was really inspired by that, too. It was just simplistic, something that was coming of age. It didn't need a lot of theatrics. Like I think now in a lot of children's entertainment, it's really gross-humored or it's just really out there, which is fine. I think there's a place for that, too. But I really enjoyed and knew I wanted to write something that was just very grounded and Mm -hmm. personable and something relatable because that's the kind of content I was drawn to as a child.
0: Yeah. When you're trying to make a point, sometimes simpler is better. How did you start? Did you go, yep, I know how to write a book. I know how to get published. I know how to do this. (laughs) Well, how did you you get started?
1: Oh, Monica, it was a process. (laughs) So, I had a lot of experience reading children's books when I was working as a pre-K teacher. Um, but then years later, um, when I decided I wanted to start writing this back in 2021, I was committed to doing it well. Like, I, I knew that if I was going to do this, I had to give it my all, and I didn't want to put something out that felt like 25% effort. Right. So I, re- I researched. I read a whole bunch of books books, I kind of picked up on some things um, that I didn't necessarily know the term for, but I was like, oh, these books seem to all do this. You know, what is this called? And that was just the, the research behind writing it. But I found that there was even more work to do around Um, Finding an illustrator, doing the page layout, deciding how I want to lay out the book, deciding on the marketing plan, what social media uh, platforms do I want to use. There was a lot of, you know, SEO and optimization of keywords. and I've been working on this off and on for two years. And so it's, you know, the book writing itself is so... (laughs) I don't want to say minor because it definitely went through lots of drafts, but it the whole thing was definitely a, a machine.
0: Yeah. Well, so how did you figure it out? Did you have friends in the industry, or did you find a? Um, a I, I, you know, I, I'm not even joking when I say this, but did you find a YouTube video? Because I swear it feels like you can find a YouTube video <laughs> to teach you everything right now.
1: Honestly, yes. YouTube, 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 YouTube was probably my number one source. There are so many informative videos out there from people who've done things just like me or professionals that have done it for a living, offering their bits of advice. Um, so a lot of it was me um, watching videos, collaborating with other writers online and forums and just kind of absorbing information, a lot of information over the past couple of years. And I think, you know, I attribute that to some of the success I've had so far with Bill Roy.
0: So how's it going? And when did it go on? When did it go on sale?
1: So it's going really, really well. Um, it actually will be released November 3rd, so this Friday.
0: Oh, but, how nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I released the ebook um, almost about a month ago online on Amazon. And I did that for strategic purposes. I wanted to get it out there early to hopefully gain some interest and some buzz but also to collect reviews. And um, to my surprise, you know, I I already have over, I think 22 or 23 reviews, five star ratings, I think like 35 star ratings. And it was the number one, yeah, thank you. It was the number one um, new release in like three different categories, and then reached the top 10 in three separate categories. And at one point, I'm trying to remember her name. What was the name of the poet that spoke at President Biden's inauguration?
0: Oh, I do know who you're talking about, and I can see her in my head, but I can't say her name. Right. Yeah.
1: I can't remember her name, but at one point, my book was outselling hers.
0: Get out of town. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and that was really cool. So I screenshotted that. But,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, as well you should.
1: But yeah, I feel lucky. And I you know, I certainly do think a lot of that came from a lot of the hard work I've been doing for the past two years. But also I think maybe it's just resonating for whatever reason. And people are, are liking it for w- what it is.
0: I feel like anybody who's ever had kids or been around kids has seen kids go through that whole, oh, I've screwed up and now I don't know how to handle it. Frankly, even as adults, I think that's something we all struggle with because we just all have this big thing about perfection and getting it right every time and getting it right up, you know, constantly. And that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself.
1: Absolutely. Um, I think that partly inspired it as well, recognizing that in myself you know, for a number of years and I want to say middle school and high school, you know, you're learning a lot more about yourself. And I realize, oh, I have such a complex over being a kind person. And I felt like a kind person and a nice person, but it was almost obsessive that I felt like I always had to be this way. Right. Like, Victor, you have to be this way. And in those moments where I wasn't feeling always that nice or pleasant, you know, I felt guilt because of that pressure I put on myself. And so I'm sure a bit of that kind of unconsciously crept into the book as well. You know, we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves, but at the end of the day, we're going to be who we're going to be. We're going to make mistakes. And that's that's okay. You know, like life went on for Gilroy. He made the mistake, but life kept going because that's what happens.
0: Was it Oprah who used to talk about the disease to please You know, it really can get to be like a problem almost for folks to just be trying so hard to make it okay for everybody.
1: It can, you know, and, you know, I think we live in a world of pleasantries where we're not always aware of our own needs because we're always thinking about what kind of energy we're going to give off or, oh, I have to be there for that person or I have to be strong for that person. Right. Completely leaving ourselves out of the picture.
0: Yeah. Tell me... What in college maybe prepared you for this in ways that you would have never imagined, for and for this. But I say for this, I mean for this world as a as an author.
1: You know, honestly, maybe just being in a liberal arts school in general. You know, I think, and a lot of people have opinions about it. Like, oh, why well, do I have to take this math class? <laughs> you know, I remember I had college algebra at like eight a.m., which was the worst.
0: Um, <laughs> what were you thinking?
1: Oh it's too early. (laughs) It's too early. Um, But I do think that there is something that comes from having such a variety in experiences and classes and college. You know, theater was certainly something that I spent a lot of time in, but I was also involved in Greek life and I was involved with music and I wrote for the White Talker and I had all of these separate experiences that we're all creative at heart. And I think, you know, going to a small school, I'm super pro small school. I think sometimes we had to think outside of the box creatively. Mm -hmm. And so we were all kind of like little scientists just kind of doing and trying new things because we had to. Um, So I'm sure that for sure contributed to my life now as a social worker and now a new children's book writer.
0: Do, do you miss performing? I
1: do miss performing. I haven't performed probably since 2017. 2017, or at least that was the last bit of theater work I had. I think about it often. It's, it's an odd thing to contemplate sometimes. You know, like, wow, what would it be like to memorize a monologue now? <laughs>
0: Talk about things that change. Something. Your your brain changes a little bit, too.
1: Right, your brain. <laughs> like, I would rehearse and learn scenes, and I would be on airplanes running lines to myself in my chair. And
0: Where else did you get to go to perform?
1: So I've worked a lot of places in the country. I've done some work in Ohio a few times. I toured the East Coast. I toured the Midwest. A mixture of children's theater, uh, musicals, outdoor dramas I saw a lot of places which was really cool yeah the bulk of my 20s and my mid 20s just kind of going around the country and um, seeing new places and it was lovely do you
0: ever think about using in theater or drama is in your work with the kids
1: I do yeah I think about it all the time. There's definitely drama therapy, and I've even contemplated trying to propose to create a um, theater program at my school. I think that would still be enriching for you know our creative selves, but also for our mental health. You know, theater in a lot of ways saved me in high school and college. It gave me something to look forward to and something to really focus and put my attention towards.
0: And it's nice to be able to look back and realize that those were activities that weren't just fun. They were meaningful and important to your life.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And it's how cool is it to say, you know, oh, I've worked as a professional actor. You know, (laughs) I still love to use it as an icebreaker because it sounds unbelievable. I'm sure I'll return to it in some form sometime in the future and probably under a lot less stress and pressure. Oh, yeah. I think when you're... Yeah, when you're younger, you care so much. And not that I don't care now as an adult, an older adult, but I feel like more secure in myself and I know like, oh, if I blow this audition and it doesn't go how I want it to. It's okay.
0: Well, you know, no pressure, but I'm pretty sure in a big city, you're going to find some community theater that would love to have you, and they would jump at the chance to have you as part of the ensemble. Oh,
1: I hope so. Yeah. There's a pretty cool theater scene here in Philly. There you go. Yeah, it's really cool. Anna Bailey, she also graduated in 2013. She just got a job at the Walnut Street Theater, and so that's the State Theater of Pennsylvania here in Philly.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm feeling like once again, the worlds are bumping into each other and you're giving the good opportunity coming up. Absolutely. Victor, we're out of time. And I just appreciate so much you talking to us about your book and about your works and about your good heart toward these kids oh. that you work with. And that just, it just makes me happy to hear what you're doing. So thank you very much. Thank
1: you. It's been such a pleasure catching up and talking things every and talking about, you know, book and acting. It's, it's an honor to speak with you today.
0: You're very sweet. Well, I hope we'll see you back on campus soon. But in the meantime, I reckon we better sign off and say thank you for being our guest today on the Duck Pond Wall. And I want to thank everyone for listening today on WEHC-FM 90.7, WISC-FM 90.5. Please keep listening to the programming that's coming up next because this is, after all, the voice of Southwest Virginia. (laughs) We'll